Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Techspansive. I am Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute. And I am Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. A lot of tech news and announcements this week, a lot going on. Uh, we thought we would start off by talking about the new, uh, if you will, Max from Apple. Uh, earlier this year, Apple announced that they would be transitioning their Macs to Apple Silicon, and those Macs are out. The, uh, the Mac Mini and the Apple Silicon M1 um, are, are out, and we're getting reviews on those now. Uh, and by and large, they seem to be very well received. Everyone seems to, uh, to really like the performance that they're getting, um, which, which speaks a lot to uh, you know, where, where Apple wants their products to, to be. Ross, what are, what are some of your thoughts? Yeah, I uh, you know, saw some commentary that this kind of fulfills the Steve Jobs vision of uh, at Apple making the whole widget, um, including the processor. Uh, this is the Mac's uh, third major processor transition or transplant, uh, if you will, uh, and probably the last one. <laughs> Uh, since uh, Apple now now owns the architecture, there's no need uh, to uh, to really switch at least uh, to another vendor. So uh, you know this this transition basically brings them into the same rough architecture that uh, the iPhone, iPad have. Uh, but because you're you have it in a PC, because you have it in uh, something that's going to be used for much more uh, demanding work. Uh, they really went all out to optimize performance. Uh, interesting contrast uh, to how Qualcomm and Microsoft uh, went about it with kind of a similar initiative uh, called uh, Always Connected PC. They reserved that for a subset of the ultra mobile uh, laptop uh, and two-in-one segment. And so it's been... Um, you know, very small share of, of that market. Whereas Apple has uh, gone all in and said, uh, this is it. And, uh, you know, waited a couple of years until they got the performance to, to where they wanted it. And it just seems to be blowing the doors uh, off, uh, you know, off, off Intel uh, chips uh, at, uh, at the same product price points. So, uh, so they're putting it in desktops, they're putting in machines that that have fans uh, in them, which uh, allows them to run the the, the, the chip at a, at a higher speed. Uh, there are no modems like there are in, on the uh, Qualcomm uh, Microsoft side, but uh, but the performance is there. And uh, you know, what are some of the things you can do with this now? Well, much longer battery life. Uh, they're already starting to bring in some uh, benefits from the iPhone, like better image processing capabilities for the webcam, uh, even if the camera hardware itself hasn't been uh, really updated. And uh, some you know, interesting hints for the future. For example, uh, they have an app called Pixelmator Pro, uh, which allows a very kind of minority uh, report-like like effect where you can keep zooming in to, uh, to an image over and over again, and it will smooth it out and you know, using AI kind of figure out uh, how that image should look uh, 
even beyond the resolution of, of the original image. So it's, uh, it's a small taste of, uh, of the kinds of things to come. Yeah, the battery life is what I noted in some of the reviews, um, many saying that they were getting a, a day's worth of, of battery life. So, you know, even if you think about uh, the, the world- but like a full day, not like, a, a, like we right. think of a day of computer usage, which might be eight to 10 hours, but, but actually, you know, 15, 20 hours. So, And yeah. if you, you think about the world we're in today where you have multiple people working from the same home, often moving throughout the home to get away from yeah. the other person while they're on a call, yes. uh, you know, this is a, a potentially a, a really nice feature to have where you're not having to go back downstairs or upstairs or into the room to get the, the power cord, but you're just uh, good to go for the day. It's, um, uh, it's definitely an interesting flip from the marketing around the, uh, those Qualcomm PCs originally, which was the idea that, hey, you're going on a trip for the yeah. weekend. Now you don't have to bring your charger right? Uh, one day that will probably be a resonant marketing message again. Uh, and, uh, you know, as I uh, often remind uh, folks, you know, this, this shall pass one day uh, and, you know, the average usage lifespan of a, of a purchase like this is, is at least two to three years. So hopefully things will be, you know, back to normal by then. Uh, but, um, but yes, yeah, certainly utility, even in these uh, very different times. The, the Mac OS 11, the Big Sur update, introduced a new feature as well that is exclusive to the Apple Silicon Macs, and that's the ability to run iPhone and iPad apps from the App Store. Um, so, Ross, are you going to start playing all of your, uh, you know, I, iPhone games? My, my Asphalt, Asphalt yeah. 8 uh, game. Well, you know, it's... Uh... This is, I mean, games for the Mac have, have never been a strong point, right? Uh, and so really this brings in a flood of games that, that look really pretty, uh, but because they've basically been designed for a mobile phone experience, uh, they may not offer the richest gameplay experience because a lot of them are designed to be consumed, if you will, and relatively you know, short periods of time. Uh, so it's, it's gonna be a different experience from what you get on the PC. Uh, also, a lot of these games have not been optimized for a keyboard and mouse, which is how people typically often play games uh, on, uh, on the Mac and, and uh, Windows laptops. So uh, we're sure to be sure to see a lot of attention uh, from Apple to, to try to get game developers to support this. I think it's, it's one reason why there's been some pushback by uh, iOS developers to get their wares in the uh, Mac App Store. So the Mac still uses a separate app store. So you have to buy the game again uh, if, uh, if you've already bought it. Uh, and so, um, you know, Apple so far hasn't had great success in getting iOS developers to focus much on the Mac because after all, it's a relatively small incremental audience uh, from iPad and iPhone users. But, uh, but you know, this, this may help if there's even some additional revenue opportunity. And I'm sure Apple is quite concerned with people having to buy an app twice or a game <laughs> twice. Uh, it, it feels to me though that really games aren't the killer 
apps, if you will, that we'll be using from, uh, from iOS on the Mac, but that there will be other things. And we talked a little bit about this in a previous episode of, of Textmansive, where just being able to do things directly from the, the Mac. Right. That, like order a Starbucks coffee. Right. You, you can't do that from their website, you know, or order an Uber, you know, uh, yeah. can't, can't do that from their website for whatever reason, or, or pay someone via Venmo right? Not available via the website, have to do it via an app. So yeah, there, there are definitely some advantages. If, if you're some kind of social media manager, you know, it's, it's fantastic to see how your tweets and so forth will, will look on phones. Uh, so that's, uh, that's something you can do now. Yeah. So the, there will be some interesting applications for it to, to come and, and it will probably drive developers to think about this, uh, this universe differently uh, where they're not just thinking about the the phone or the iPad but now they can think about the experience on the Mac even though the Mac is still a, a relatively small share of the overall com- compute environment I, I kind of think of it as the top of their pyramid though you know it's relatively small installed base but it is the most demanding installed base and so that's why they you know brought out their most powerful processor ever for the Mac and, and certainly over time, we'll see those innovations filter through to, uh, to the rest of the uh, Apple Silicon uh, chips. In other news from Apple this week, we saw that they uh, announced somewhat surprisingly that they would reduce the App Store fee to 15% for any developer who's earning less than a million dollars in revenue per year from their apps. This will start in, in January. Uh, the, the stats that I saw from Tower were that uh, about 2% of the uh, developers in the iOS environment account for about 95% of the revenue that runs through the App Store. So, so while this will benefit 98% of the, uh, of the developers, it will, it will not probably dent the revenue very much that Apple brings in. And, and arguably, it doesn't really relieve the the critics that uh, we have seen uh, and the criticism we have seen brought against Apple, which is coming from the, the, the biggest developers out there and the biggest service providers that, you know, the Spotify's of the world and others. Uh, so this is a, a, a small move. I, I think at a time when Apple is facing a lot of antitrust criticism and concern. So here's a way of, of if you will, democratizing. Yeah, it's an easy one. A bit, yeah. yeah. It's a no-brainer for them. Uh, you know, great, uh, you know, feel-good move. Um, you know, I wrote this week for ZDNet about uh, the arrival of uh, cloud gaming services uh, on on the iPhone, where developers have to use Safari because of conflicts ar- arising from uh, the App Store rules. Uh, this provides a-, a way for Fortnite to circuitously make its way back, uh, back to the iPhone. Uh, but in, in the course of writing the article, uh, I checked out the webpage for the Coalition for App Fairness, which is the nonprofit that was created by Spotify and Epic Games and Match Group and you know, many of these large developers that uh, take issue with Apple's App Store rules. And uh, you know, this, this only happened like two, three months ago, uh, and already they have 45 members. Uh, I was really surprised at, at how quickly it's grown. 
And then, of course, you've got guys like, you know, the other big companies like Facebook uh, and Microsoft that have publicly groused uh, about Apple's approach, but have not yet, uh, not at least at this point, joined that, that consortium. So um, there's definitely growing antipathy there. Yeah, we'll, we'll see um, when we have a new administration, if we have a new administration ever <laughs> brought in, how, uh, how they might handle some of these tech issues. So there'll be a lot more around the top, those topics to come. In, and that, that's uh, a great segue to our next issues, our next topics. Uh, yeah, we, yes. we, we stay with big tech because uh, it seems like big tech is slowly inching into lots of different markets and, uh, and we find that interesting. Uh, Google this week unveiled major redesigns for Google Pay for uh, both Android and iOS, though my guess is that most people are using Google Pay in an Android environment and not an iOS environment. Uh, they partner with 11 banks to launch what is uh, essentially a, a mobile-first banking service called Plex. So these will be um, mobile-first bank accounts. They'll have no monthly fees, no uh, no minimum balances. They'll have overdraft, uh, no, excuse me, no overdraft charges. The, the accounts will be owned by the underlying bank, but you'll essentially access them through the, the Google Pay app. And the Google Pay app will have essentially three tabs. One is your ability to pay merchants or, or others, peer-to-peer -peer payments. Another one will be offers and rewards. So a little bit of a, a shopping uh, store, a, you know, a mall type feature within the app. And, the, and then the third will give you insights into how you're spending your money. So you can see your money, you can see your money disappear, and then you can see <laughs> how you how did, made that How money did my money disappear? Yeah. Um, so they're, they're really changing the, the way um, they want you to see Google Pay. They've added in the ability to do virtual coupon clipping, the ability to, uh, they've worked with the Google Lens team to add in QR codes. So you can scan QR codes and, and look for potential discounts. And then you'll also be able to pay across a variety of, of services, contactless payments at gas stations or uh, parking apps that will be embedded. And, and you know, I think what we see from big tech is, and these big tech companies is in a digital environment, it's so easy to enter into these other markets, into adjacent markets. Uh, you know, arguably, uh, Google was already in this space somewhat. And so to add new features and, and in turn, through those new features, enter into entirely new markets is relatively straightforward in a, a digital environment, especially when you partner with a a bank, then you don't have to deal with the regulatory burden of, uh, of being a bank. And so they don't necessarily introduce any new uh, regulatory burden, though they might introduce some new antitrust scrutiny as they, as they do these things. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think what we're going to continue to see is just this consolidation that that's taking place, that takes place in every industry as it matures. And we're seeing lots of segments of we'll call it the digital universe maturing. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, in some ways you already see some of these aspects in, in China. You have a WeChat that is both a communications platform as well as a, a, a platform for making payments and, and other things like that. Very popular in China. Uh, and it would 
seem like we would move in that direction. Facebook clearly has taken note of what WeChat has done and they've over the years uh, integrated a lot of the, the popular WeChat features into some of their, uh, some of their features. I, I think you see it from some of the other social networks as well. And it would make sense to see some consolidating services take place around banking payments and, and just general you know, shopping trends. So this seems to hit on a lot of things that Google wants to do, be able to advertise to you, get you to, to shop there. Um, that's always been an area of focus for Google. Uh, obviously coming out of the advertisement, they want you to be shopping there as well if, you're, if they're uh, trying to attract the advertisers. And, and now here's a way, uh, another way of getting you to shop. Uh, so, you know, a lot, a lot going on here. Yeah, there's, um, yeah, there's a couple of, couple of interesting points you make there, Sean. Uh, first of all, uh, you know, you, you've, you've made the, the point about market entry. Uh, you know, we've revisited several times on, on the, um, on the podcast. Uh, I, I tend to think of this phenomenon that I, I call uh, tech habitats. Uh, which is the idea that we're moving past ecosystems uh, that have historically been kind of like hardware, software, and services stacked on top of each other uh, into things that were never part of the computing platforms, you know, or technology platforms uh, of our of our lives. Uh, and uh, I think the uh, sort of sharing of power there, uh, if Google had sort of gone on its own. Uh, maybe bought one of these uh, mobile first banks like Chime, uh, it would have taken some time for them or more time uh, for them to get to the kind of scale uh, that they want because they would have to attract new uh, users um, and that's going to be a slow process. So by partnering with all these banks, not only does it set them up well uh, to get broader geographic reach because they can partner with regional players, uh, but they can, uh, you know, the, the real sweet spot that they're after are two things, one, the data, and, and two, the ability to market uh, to, to these guys with offers. And, uh, and, and that's what this, this gets for them. Uh, very interesting contrast with uh, Apple Card, um, you know, where the, there, there has also been this focus on more transparency or better insights into how you're spending. Uh, but Apple, of course, partnered with one bank, uh, Goldman Sachs, uh, and um, and has uh, and has uh, you know, in keeping with their brand, steadfastly refused to have any kind of promotional offers uh, on their uh, on on that uh, that credit card. So um, there's there's a big difference there. Yeah, and and obviously difference in business culture there too. Though Apple has in the past done things exclusively for a season before they've, before they've broadened it out. Obviously, uh, you know, the iPhone was originally exclusive to AT&T and right. broadened out. So maybe over time, Apple broadens out uh, what it does, but you see Google trying to bring everything under uh, one roof. Well, for now it's a credit card, right? With some, right. you know, peer to peer payment capabilities, uh, do you do you think it would would you know would you be surprised to see them go more into retail banking either by themselves or or with a partnership? Uh, surprised, per, perhaps. But when you think about 
Apple wanting to build out service businesses, mm-hmm. what are the services that we engage with? I mean, one is is content, and they clearly have been focused there around, you know, music, movies, podcasts, other things right. like that. Uh, but where do they go next? And once they've once they've gained a, a good strong foothold in that market, do they enter into another market? I think by definition they have to. They're going to have mm-hmm. to enter into uh, other markets. And so, what do those markets look like? Could it be finance? Could it be uh, you know you know something else? Um, I mean, do we see them get into search, for example, at some point? A- and if this deal gets, you know, gets further scrutinized around payments that, that are made to Google and they're forced to abandon that arrangement, do they then, rather than partnering with another search engine, just build their own? And, and obviously, they've, I'm sure they've been working on it. They've been thinking about it. So do they eventually roll that out? Maybe they plan to roll it out. They're just waiting for it. I and mean, we talked about this, obviously, in a previous episode as well. Uh, so I, I look at where are the next services going to be that that Apple will need to enter into as it as it grows out because I think it has much bigger aspirations than just being a very strong Netflix competitor, and you know you're going to have to grow revenue and and income as a public mm-hmm. company. So they're gonna mm-hmm. you know they're gonna have to move beyond just these services, just like they had to move beyond devices as they went right. into these services. And, and the way they went about fitness might be an interesting clue. Uh, in, in that game, there aren't really a lot of strong brands, a lot of strong consumer relationships. Peloton, you know, maybe the premier brand at, at the moment, uh, and people belong to their gym, but I don't think they really have a, you know, very deep relationship there. So uh, if they go, um, so, uh, so they kind of went, went on their own uh, and branded the service on their own. Um, and, uh, that's, that's probably a good, good, uh, branching off point to talk about what we're seeing Amazon, uh, now doing in the, in the pharmacy, uh, space. So a few years after purchasing a company called PillPack, uh, which brought them uh, regulatory uh, approval to sell prescriptions in all 50 States, uh, they are now rolling out, uh, Amazon pharmacy, which will be a more full-featured pharmacy offering uh, available on their website, uh, integrating into Prime uh, in terms of a free two-day delivery. And Sean, you were talking earlier about some of the potential of integration with Whole Foods. Yeah, I mean, they obviously bought Whole Foods, which gave them a lot of retail footprint and, and retail space. It's interesting that Whole Foods doesn't have any pharmacies in them. Uh, you know, Ross is in New York, I'm in DC, so we have very different pharmacy experiences. Here I am, we actually end up with a lot of uh, pharmacies in grocery stores, not uncommon. Mm-hmm. And all the grocery stores that, that I have near me all have a, a pharmacy in them. And so um, it would be very natural to bring a pharmacy into Whole Foods. In fact, when the Whole Foods acquisition was made, there was a lot of talk that, uh, that PillPack would would end up having a physical presence at, at these mm. stores. I mean, it was last year also that Amazon launched their own over-the-counter drugs. Uh, and so in addition to having name brand generics, you could see Amazon, just like they've done in other categories, offering more 
over the counter, you know, their own line of over the counter drugs. You can pick them up at a Whole Foods. You can have them delivered that day uh, or, you know, that week maybe. Um, and so, you know, clearly moving into another space. And, and this is, I think, an interesting, you know, again, just like these other companies, they have to move into new categories. That's why we have so much to talk about every week with these particular companies, because they're constantly looking at what new markets can we uh, can we enter into. And your point about uh, about Apple is a great one. Uh, they went into the fitness space, and I, they're clearly not done there. Uh, Apple watches the hardware. They've added the service. I think there's a lot more to, to come there. And if you were to tell me in 10 years that they're doing pharmacy uh, delivery wouldn't surprise me at all because I think they'll need to enter into new markets. Now, the margin may not be that great there, so that might not be a market that's very attractive to uh, to Apple, but um, it, it's a market that clearly makes a lot of sense for Amazon, and they've been putting the pieces together for, uh, you know, for a number of years. So we can easily Im imagine that uh, the next time we're hit by a pandemic, we'll be getting vaccines delivered to us via Amazon drones, uh, and we'll have it you know, day of via prime delivery. Of course, one of the things that they're going to have to be very careful with here is how they use patient information, right? We were just talking about how Google's going to use financial information to give you all kinds of special offers in your uh, in your in your uh, Google Pay app, uh, and here, you know, there's obvious business potential in Amazon knowing things about your various medical conditions to either sell you, you know, different kinds of uh, products to help you with those conditions, or perhaps tap into uh, insurance reimbursement for certain kinds of expenses, but. Uh, I would expect, at least in the early days, that they would err on the side of keeping that stuff separate uh, just to raise consumer confidence uh, a bit. And, you know, there, there are probably some regulatory issues at play there as well. Well, and, and you know, that's where you might want an Apple to be your, your mm -hmm. pharmacist. Yeah, good point, Sean. Excellent because they've point. built this, uh, this perception that they are really focused on privacy and the consumer and, and that's who they care the most about. And so, um, you know, it, it could be, it's a, a very different model and we could see things move in that direction. M maybe, maybe not. We'll see, but. And, and you mentioned Whole Foods, but uh, there's a competitor at least here in uh, New York in the pharmacy space called Capsule uh, that is distinguished by these in-person two-hour delivery windows. Uh, and that's something that Amazon might be able to do as well with, with Fresh, you know, where they're dropping, you know, talking about your grocery uh, shopping. Uh, what about grocery delivery uh, and delivering your medications with that as well? So uh, just, just another example of how they can use their scale and diversity of their businesses to compete. Yeah, definitely not the end of what we will we will see from Amazon on this front. Ross, you, you made the joke earlier that you know you'll be able to get your medication and anything else you might need. Right, uh, you'll, you'll get hit by a car. Order the walker, you know, through Amazon. Yeah, along yeah with and, the drugs. and you can use insurance yeah. now that they're getting uh, accustomed to taking insurance uh, for some of their purchases. They'll be able to use insurance, so it's a whole new market for 
for Amazon, presumably, mm-hmm. and uh, could be a really interesting market. Clearly not the end. They've been focused on this now for several years and, and more to come. And, and maybe others will, will uh, equally look at this as well. Probably a great place to wrap it up. Thank you again for joining this week's episode of Techspansive. I am Sean Dubrovac, and you can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubrovac. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin.